morning, our first speaker is one of the most unique men I've ever met. He is a man of God. He's a revivalist. He's a lover of men. He's a lover of young people. I don't know, I don't know of many people that are as passionate about the things of God as Brother Jess Parker. To those of you that may not know, a number of years ago, they were instrumental in reaching a group of people that had come to the university there in La Grande, Oregon from the Marshall Islands. And through the hand of God upon these people, God began to bless and gave a tremendous revival to that group of people. So much, in fact, that people began to come all the way from the Marshall Islands to La Grande, Oregon because of what God was doing in their church. And so Brother Parker began to seek God, said, what, what is the answer here? Obviously, the whole island can't move to La Grande, but we can take the gospel to the Marshall Islands. And today, the largest, I want you to hear this, the largest church of any denomination in the Marshall Islands is the One God Jesus Name Apostolic Church. Amen. Brother, brother and sister Parker are cowboys and cowgirls. They fell in love living on ranches next door to each other. He's been everything from a drug runner to Mexico to a rancher and a cow horse breaker and everything else in between. But he's a man of God. And when he talks about revival, he knows what he's talking about. Brother Parker, we're glad you're here. We love you, buddy. Come preach this morning. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Everybody happy? Well, if you're not happy, this is the place you're supposed to get happy. And uh, this is the time. Amen. There's no reason not to be happy. You got the Holy Ghost, you just stay happy. Right? Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you, Brother Young. And uh, he, I've been, I haven't told him this, but I've been personally calling him my new young friend. I know he's a pastor here, and but uh, it, it's always good to have younger friends as well as older friends. And uh, Brother and Sister Young, I don't have a cowboy hat on, but if I had it on this morning, I'd take it off to you. I know it's a tremendous uh, amount of work that takes place in just uh, leading and, and having a pastor in a church like this, but a meeting like this. Uh, I do have a little experience in how much work that is, maybe not on this scale, but a lot of conferences and, and God bless you and just richly and, and even a very private way. Brother Wilson and I, I'll do my best not to embarrass you. Um, he's after me so he can come clean up anything I get crossways. No, I mean that um, very earnestly. I uh, There's not a lot of people that that I think about when I get up to preach. Uh, certainly, I am a Terryite. I'm born and raised in Bakersfield, California. Brother I.H. Terry is my uncle, was my pastor, and uh, and I think of him often when I walk to the pulpit. If he would approve of what I was preaching, and 
and if he would approve of the spirit I came to the pulpit in and uh, I'll say to you I really count it a high compliment even though I'm giving it and that's that I often think of you brother Wilson and uh, we're not close personal friends but I've been an admirer from a distance and God bless you and sister Wilson thank you for allowing me to come the Youngs and the Wilsons and, and be a part of this and uh, and then even more important than that uh, Brother Young already told you that we're cowboys and cowgirls my wife's dad bought a ranch from my dad uh, next door there was only a driveway between our houses when she was eight and I was nine years old so we've either been next door neighbors 15 miles from town the only other boy was her brother, so I was the only choice she had. We've been neighbors or boyfriend and girlfriend and married for 50 years. She's an extremely hardworking lady, if you know her. Um, and uh, unlimited resources and she never seems to get tired i tell her all the time i'll never work as hard as you do you just work too hard but i love her amen just want to say thank you to all the supporters people that have called me and and uh, i know are, are praying for me and uh, i'm just i feel good i feel good here uh, i want to say that i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for brother ih terry and uh, certainly Wendell Myers. Um, both are my uh, uncles. Uh, my mother was uh, Sister I.H. Terry's sister. And so I was born into a great legacy. And uh, I'm not proud of being a drug runner. I was. It's hard to believe sometimes when I think back, smuggling drugs out of Mexico and other countries. And uh, the years I spent at that, 12 years, I, I backslid when I was 13 years old. My parents had divorced, and, and I went to live with my dad on the ranch. And, you know, I, that's where I got Robbie, so it was worth it. And uh, many times over, I'm not proud of that. Um, don't intend to talk much about that today, but um, God delivered me. Amen. He delivered me. There's a day when I, I mean hundreds of pounds of, of, of marijuana and things like that. I was actually went uh, on the run as a fugitive for a couple years and was arrested for about four or five hundred pounds of, of marijuana. And, um, and to think that you can go from actually seeing tons of it on a weekly and monthly basis uh, to I didn't even see a leaf of it. I never even saw anybody smoking any of it for uh, nearly 30 years. I think it's about 30 years before I actually saw a pipe somewhere when it looked like it had residue in it. It was the first time that I, I even saw uh, what I suppose was pot. I didn't touch it, uh, but God can deliver. And it's, tr it's tremendous what God can do. Never touched it, never, never had any of it. And uh, thank God for that. And then I want to say to, uh, to all the Terryites, I know what some of you are all thinking. Some of you probably don't even like me very much, but you're saying, Parker, you woodpecker, you better get with it. 
and um, and so man we we have a fraternity i don't know if you've ever um, got to know any of the terryites but brother terry put out a lot of preachers and uh, i do love every one of them and and uh, amen that's that's a big thing to me also uh, to all the young men that are out of our church uh, that are young preachers and, and some of them are even getting a little gray hair uh, I know that I'm representing them and I want to do the best I can why don't we go to the word of the Lord if Marshall Islands is tuned in this morning Yahweh the Kinalanich and uh, I'm glad uh, for what God's done in the Marshall Islands through us and, and help us allowed us to be a part of it I'd like for you to turn your Bibles if you would to uh, the book of 1 Kings familiar passage of scripture chapter 22 and I'm going to read just a few verses of scripture and uh, then I'll let you be seated verse 20 says and the Lord said who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead and one said on this manner and another said on that manner and there came forth a spirit that stood and stood before the Lord and said I will persuade him and the Lord said unto him wherewith and he said I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets and he said thou shalt persuade him and prevail also go forth and do so now therefore behold the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee but Zedekiah the son of Chenanah went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee I want to speak to you today on this subject and that's simply the 25th bear and uh, we'll we'll try to get this put together let's pray why don't all of us just pray you pray for me I'll pray for you father we love you and we thank you for the hand of God thank you for the touch of God ask you to help us today touch us God in the spirit give us liberty to preach God anoint us we pray anoint the ears to hear anoint the hearts God guide my footsteps I pray so the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord God order my steps today I pray in Jesus name won't you shake somebody's hand you can be seated God bless you throughout the Bible uh, the Lord um, through prophets of course and 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 then the Lord himself uh, when he came and began his earthly ministry he used uh, oftentimes uh, lots of object lessons and um, thus the case of the 25th bear but he used olive trees he used foxes he used wolves he used lions uh, we heard some preaching about that last night and even bears and uh, you know up in our part of the country I'm from the Northwest uh, in Northeast Oregon La Grande Oregon and and we have a lot of critters up there I, I had a call this morning there's people often um, 
like to invite themselves to Legrand to go hunting. And, uh, and, and every now and then I invite some. I invited Brother Young, and he came up and shot a nice bear last year. And, and we, we, we're just, like I say, he's a new young friend. I, I tell you what he did to me, though. He, he, he shoots the bear, and the bear comes out of the tree, shot it twice, I believe. And, and I didn't have a flashlight. I just had a forty-five. Uh, Glock and and I was uh, I thought you know we're gonna make sure this bear's dead and so I run into toward the tree to the bear and they can be a little ferocious uh, when when they're first wounded like that and 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 the bear takes off and I take a couple of wild shots going through the brush just trying to finish this animal and 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 he he just goes big blood trail and everything and boy I just took off after it didn't have a flashlight I thought well I can these guys are right on my tail. And I, I run about 150, 200 yards, and I turned around, and there, no one there. No flashlights, no backups. They just served me up to that little black bear. But in these, in these illustrations, um, they, uh, they, they help us to understand the Word of God. Uh, everything written in the Old Testament was written, the Bible said, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world would come. And, and so when we read stories from the Old Testament and we began to preach uh, from subjects out of the Old Testament, we, we use those as examples. Uh, there's some interesting things I've found about this, and, and, and this is a passage uh, that I have used often in teaching about delusion. Um, some people are, are, are they're self-delusioned and, and just because of things they may want themselves or desire themselves, they fall into a delusion. You've heard of people that are legends in their own mind. They're, on, they're, they're, in, they're in every basketball court, every football field, and, and Pentecost. You know, we, like Brother Wilson was telling us the other day, you put a bunch of us old guys together against a bunch of their old guys, and we'd whip them. And, 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 and so it's, it's, it's easy sometimes. And, 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 and then preaching and the Word of God and our elders get up and preach, and they snap us out of that. They bring us back to reality. And, uh, and, and preaching's tremendous for that. that it, it'll, 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 sometimes you just get to thinking things. Your, your thinking is not right. I think Brother Terry used to call it stinking thinking. You ever, ever suffer from stinking thinking? Uh, you, you just, you're not thinking right, and, and, and someone brings you back into reality. In the Word of God, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about there's a broad way to destruction, and there is a narrow way that leadeth unto life. And of course, our purpose is to get you on a narrow, correct path. Isaiah said there's a highway there, and it's, it's easily defined uh, to the point where a, a wayfaring man, though a fool, need not err therein. That's how plain the way is if you search for it. The scripture said, search for righteousness, you seek for righteousness, and you'll be filled. And so God doesn't play a game of hiding. He doesn't play a game of hide-and-seek, and, and the gospel is, is, is not hid only under certain circumstances. And, and this one I want to talk about. One, 
uh, the scripture says is that in, in, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, you know, the Pharisees, they're upset at what you said. I mean, they were, this was a continual uh, situation. They were always coming to him and the Pharisees were mad, right? Sometimes the Sadducees, but most often the Pharisees were complaining about his preaching. They were trying to find fault with him and they were trying to pick him apart. And, and they had no idea. You see what a delusion they were under. They were trying to find fault with the very God that made them. Are you with me? And, and that's how far off they were. That's how delusion they were. And, and here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, just leave them alone. That's, that's the phrase. Leave them alone because the Pharisees are blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. What he's saying, you, you mess with the blind. You mess with false doctrine. You mess with uh, people that are, are, are blind to truth. You're in trouble. That's a great way to get in, in extreme trouble. And he said, just stay away from them. Leave them alone. And, and so you, th there's several ways you can doom, be doomed. The Bible mentions, I'm going to mention three here, and one is that, very, very simply, that if your leader is blind, uh, you're headed for the ditch. There's no avoiding it. And, and, and so that's, that's a place you don't want to be. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, the scripture says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It didn't say would be lost. It said they are in a, they are lost. And so anybody in the world, any, anybody in earth, uh, anybody in your town, anybody in, in your neighborhood, anybody in your family that has never seen and never had an opportunity to see the gospel, amen, Acts 2.38 is what I'm talking about. Can you say amen? amen. Come on, don't get quiet on me. Well, you can get quiet. I don't care, really. But if you never hear the gospel, you are in a lost condition. I don't understand these light doctrine people. And it's just the delusion there is so heavy that I don't really want to go there. It's just, it's a mess. It is a mess. Because the scripture just plainly says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It didn't mean lost, uh, like uh, lost in their neighborhood and can't find a grocery store. It's talking about in a lost, your soul is in a lost condition. Can you say amen? amen. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll turn there and read. Uh, there's a little more there to read, but it, 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 it's, it's into what I want to talk to you about today. Verse 9 and chapter 2 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, to the Oki, and that's what I was raised, those sound like big words, but they're really very simple. What they're saying is the deceivableness of unrighteousness is what's going to cause people to perish. And it, it, what it means is telling somebody it's okay to do something that's not okay to do. 
you deceive somebody in unrighteousness. Now relax a little bit. I'm not here to preach clothesline message or anything like that. But it, you, can, you can get messed up there. You can, you can get in a hole. Um, the Bible plainly teaches us separation and modesty. And, 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 and I love it. I appreciate it in my wife. I appreciate it in what I see here. And, and you may not see it as an issue, but on a world scale, it's a tremendous issue uh, this day. But it says that the deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. Not a love, but the. There's only one, and there's only one truth. And then it finishes like this, that they might be saved. It's going to take that to get saved. It takes that to get saved today. You gotta, you can't just, you can't just hate uh, a false way, and, and you need to do that. And you can't just like church, and you can't just be happy with church, or even love church. You gotta love truth. Come on, you gotta love truth. And it's been my experience that you're not going to love truth if somebody doesn't preach it to you. Hear me? I, I've got on to some of the young preachers and not on to them if I say, I don't mean that in a bad way, but got after them a little bit maybe. In that they, I've had some of them say to me here in the last few years, well, I believe everything that he believes. And when I hear that, it's kind of, my ears kind of prick up a little bit. Because I've had them preach for me, and, 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 and they're great preachers, some of them are, and tremendous preachers. But, but they avoid subject like the mighty God in Christ. And don't get nervous, just this is what I'm saying. The, the, it's just not a popular subject anymore. Well, let me tell you something, when I came in, we had evangelists like old Brother Boyd used to come by, Howard Boyd would come by, and preach four or five weeks every night. On one God every night and people got the Holy Ghost they shouted by the whistle they ran they talked in tongues they prayed through I bless you and here's what I've got to tell them and what I want to say if you're a young preacher or aspiring to the ministry don't tell somebody, well, I believe this or I believe that. All right, number one, live it. And number two, when you get the microphone in your hand, preach it. I don't want you to tell me what you believe. I want you to preach to me what you believe. If you believe this message, then bless God, preach it. This thing's not about all flowers. I'm reading to you some, some very sobering passages. God bless you, be seated. Very sobering passages. Passages of how you can be lost. And here it says, for this cause, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Let me ask you something today. Now, if, if you start believing a lie, it's going to take a good preacher to get you away from that. 
It's going to take solid, because that's the only thing that'll get you out of false doctrine. And that's strong, speak sound words that become sound doctrine. That's what'll bring you out of false doctrine. Nothing else, we heard it last night, Brother Blast, you know. It'll touch things in your mind, and your your mind will get triggered. You may have never heard it. I've seen men that that never heard uh, the doctrine preached sometimes in a way it should be. And they start hearing it and they start waking up. They could have been preaching for five or 10 years and they start, they get around somebody like my old uncle Myers or brother Terry and, and they start telling them things and pretty soon they, they perk up. It wakes them up. And, uh, and, and that's wonderful. But here, and I want to just stress it just a little bit more before I go on. And, and that's that it said that for this cause, God would send them strong delusion that you would believe a lie. Now, when God sends you a delusion, there's nobody can preach you out of it. If God is upset with you enough to send you a delusion, what makes you think he's going to send a preacher along to preach you out of it? And here's where the the importance of believing the truth and loving it. All right, I I know that probably, you know, who knows where the average is, but an average saint might struggle with understanding loving the truth. But if you you ever get a feeling or a calling to preach this gospel, you got you got to have a day somewhere where you fall in love with it. Amen. I have this friend in Colorado, and, and I don't want to call his name because we have a new department at our church in, Be- in, in Legrand, uh, and it's, it's an editing department. And because of Holy Ghost Radio, and we love Brother Hoffer, and, and, but we have a new department, Brother Young. That they, and, and every now and then I'll say, you, you better send that to the, there's a couple of editors in our church. And, and I say, cut that. I used to just say, give me that CD. I want it on my desk after church. But now... We've got a couple of people that are really handy at going through there and, and splice. We're going to have to do some of that. Not today. Amen. But it, it's a necessary piece. I, I believe in getting that word out. And, and, and sometimes, oh, I don't know. I, I see Brother Morton over there. And, and, and I remember Brother Morton when you said about, oh, 15 years ago or 13 years ago, he was just fixing to turn 60 years old. And, and I'm about, oh, 12 or 13 years his, his uh, junior. And he said, I'm going to turn 60 years old. And he said, when I get 60, I can say anything I want to. I'll be 60 in just a few months, Brother Morton. Man, I can't wait to get there. You're going to turn me loose. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And so delusion, I, I want to say this, is that delusion is often, and most often, I believe, a result of disobedience. And, and I'll scripturally just give you a foundation and move on. And, and that is that Ahab and, and Jehoshaphat were warned not to get together, right? And, and, and they pushed the issue against God's word. And, and they decided they were going to do it anyway. And when they did, God called a little committee meeting in heaven. And he began to talk to the spirits that were there 
angels, whatever you want to call them, cherub, I don't, you know, just the spirits in heaven. He brings these men or these, I guess you'd call them creatures, but they're come to him and he says, uh, you know, the devil even came to some of these meetings. And, but he says to him, he said, how will we persuade Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? What he said is, how are we going to kill Ahab at, at, at Ramoth Gilead? Y'all give me some good ideas. And that's the way it was coming down in heaven's throne room. And one said on this manner, another said on that manner, and finally one said, I know, I'll go be a lion spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, that's a good plan. Go and you will prosper. And so that's how we get to the story where we're at. And we know the story that Ahab, he, he hardly makes it on the battlefield until he's got his hand in the air or so, and, and he receives an arrow through the webbing, I believe it was, of his armor, and, and he slumps over. He even dressed himself uh, like a soldier. He didn't put on his kingly garments and things. He, he was trying to disguise himself in the battle. He had that gut feeling. When that one preacher said, different than 400 or more others, that uh, think probably you're gonna, this is gonna be your Waterloo. And it was. And, and what Micaiah told Zedekiah, uh, you know, it was a big deal. Zedekiah, what he felt, now you need to get this, is that Zedekiah, what he felt when he made those iron horns, and he seemed to be the star of the false prophets, and he, he danced around, and, and, and he took those horns, and he said, uh, with these horns, you'll push the enemy back, and, and you'll prosper. Go up against Ramoth Gilead, and everything's going to be great. And, and all the other false prophets, yeah! And they got up and they spoke exactly like he did. And, and even when, when Jehoshaphat asked Ahab, is there a, another, is there a prophet of the Lord here? He seemed to know the difference. And, and he says, is there a prophet of the Lord here? And he said, well, there's one, but I hate him. He never preaches good to me. He never prophesies good for me. And, and, and so here he comes. And, and when the messenger goes to get him and bring him, he brings him back and, and he tells him, he said, now look. This is the way the whole conference is going. <laughs> this way the whole meeting's going. Everybody's preaching down this line. This is the way all the prophets are saying. This is the direction they're all, the, the main crowd's going. Now, uh, make sure you preach the same way. And, and so, when they first asked him, he did. He just said, oh, everything's great, go and prosper. And, and when, when Ahab heard that, he said, now... How many times do I have to tell you to speak only the truth? And so that's when I began reading and portion that I read to you. Then he says, well, this is really how it is. And, and man, I mean, it was away with this guy. Get him out of here. And, and as they're dragging him out, they're going to feed him with the bread of, of affliction and water. Get him out of here. And, and as they drag him away, he's saying over his shoulder, if you come back at all, I'm not the prophet of God. You're not coming back in peace. And, 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 and everything that man said came to pass. So we know that, 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 that when God is displeased, God can get displeased with you and, and delusion you. This is strong meat. This, this is not for children. This, this word of God is... is it's, it's very serious because it ought to make you weigh your heart. It ought to make you weigh your thoughts. It, 
It ought to make you, when you step up, if you're a preacher to the pulpit, think, now what am I saying and why am I saying it? And, and what am I trying to accomplish? And, and then just rear back and, and get it done. Now, part two, uh, the 25th bear. I, I got a hold of a book. Actually, my brother Joe gave it to me 15, 20 years ago. And it's called No Room for Bears. Anybody here ever read it? I'm the only one in the house. Huh? And, and it, it is, it's a great book. No Room for Bears, and it's by a guy named Frank DeFrance. And Frank DeFrance was the, um, he, was the he, he, was, he was in charge of Admiralty Island for 35 years. Admiralty Island is the place on earth where the very largest brown bears are and are raised and live in the world. And so his job, he was a ranger, a forest ranger, and, and, and they sold so many bear tags a year because that's where everybody wants to pay the big bucks to go kill a brown bear. A brown bear is a grizzly bear. And, and really, when you get down to it, it's the same thing as a polar bear. Uh, it's the same thing that you have as a, as a state animal here in California. You don't see them. My kids are asking, where are those big bears, Dad? We went by Cal Expo yesterday and those great big bears. Well, that's the kind of bear I'm talking about. If you take the measurements of the very largest polar bear ever killed in the world, the way they measure a bear is the length of its head and its skull and the circumference of its skull, and they add it together. And so you take the very biggest polar bears ever killed in the world, and, and you take the very biggest brown bears or Kodiaks or whatever nickname you want to give them, and you measure the same measurements, and then you take the very biggest grizzly bear um, and, and take the same measurements. They all come within, the biggest ones ever killed in the world, they all come within one inch of each other. A polar bear has a little longer head, just an inch or so longer, and, and not quite as, as large in diameter, but they're, they're basically, scientifically, really the same animal with a different coat on, and, and a little different because of its environment. Now, the one that we know of, and the one you have a picture of, um, or you have the statues of down there in front of Cal Expo here in Sacramento, is it's called a Ursus Arctos, I'm not, I don't speak a lot of Latin, this is about it. But I love this name, Ursus Arctos Horribilis. <laughs> and the part I like about it is that Horribilis part. Because they're telling you this bear is horrible. Now, you know, again, I'm, I'm not versed in Latin, but you know what they're trying to say? Whatever those first two words, like get ready almost, because this bear is bad. And, 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 and Frank DeFrance is, is probably the most knowledgeable man that's lived. There's others, the wolf man, um, and I can't think of his name right now, but he killed, he's killed hundreds of, of, of bears. But there's, there's not too many people that's killed numerous bears, more than one or, or five or ten, but there's probably at least one or two people in this building that have. The point that I want to make to you is that, that a grizzly bear, is, it, it's a different world. Lewis and Clark found this out. Uh, they'd never come in contact with, uh, they're the ones that gave the name grizzly because they, they, they described a brown bear and they said in their description, they're a grizzled looking bear. And so it picked up that, that nickname. But what he says is that he studied bears. His job uh, was if, if a hunter got in trouble, and that happens often when you hunt grizzly bears. Uh, you, you shoot a moose or something in Alaska, some of you have been up there and, and hunted maybe, but if you get meat on the ground, you're pretty much going to get the presence of brown bears really fast. 
And, and sometimes they've even learned in some places that they will, when they hear a gunshot, they head toward you. Because they've understood that, that hunters actually shoot meat, there's going to be a gut pile, there's going to be some meat on the ground, and, 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 and if, you don't, if you don't show up at the airplane with at least 450 pounds of meat boned out from a moose, there's a $2,500 fine for that. And so you have to protect your meat even from a grizzly bear. And, you know, and they don't want you to shoot. You can't just shoot them. Well, it came around me and I shot it. You can't do that. And so they're very dangerous animals. And Mr. DeFrance's job was to, when a hunter got in trouble with a grizzly bear, and, and, and trouble usually means dead. I can tell you, my wife has a cousin, and, and he was with two men, and they pulled in there doing logging jobs. He's a logger, and, and they pulled into a little bay up there in, in South Alaska, and uh, they went three different ways. They're just cruising some timber, and, and their buddy didn't show up, and he was an hour, two hours late, and this is my wife's cousin. And, and he goes to find him, and they found him, and a grizzly bear, a brown bear, got a hold of him and pulled him down in a fork of a tree. How some trees, we call them school marms, they, they're, they're big trees go up and they fork. The trunks do. And he was trying to climb and get away, and that bear got a hold of him. He pulled him so hard down into the fork of the tree, he was stuck so bad, they had to cut the tree down and cut the tree apart to get his body out of the forks. They're, they have, that horribilis part is talking about a bad temper. And Mr. DeFrance, in writing, he said that he told about this one bear, a man came and, and, and he was hunting, he, got, he, 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 was, he was killed. And he didn't show back up at his camp, and, and Frank DeFrance went to his camp, found his camp, and, and he said, I knew the area, I knew there was a particularly large bear there, and a lot of trouble, this guy was wanting to hunt this bear, and he said, I had bad feelings about this bear. And, and so his job was to go find the body, or the remains, and, and, and destroy the bear. His job was to, if there was a bear that killed people, uh, they would call him, he would even leave Admiralty Island and other places and go and take and, and find those bears that, that had, had eaten people and, and, and kill them and, and uh, you know, take the, that danger at least away. And he, uh, he found remains and uh, he took care of the remains that he could and, and he began to look, found the guy's broken gun and had been fired one time and, and, and he said, I began to hunt for this bear. And he said, in the process of hunting for this bear, he said, I, I got the most eerie feeling. And, and that eerie feeling was that this bear was, was on me. And, and they're known. Uh, Bev Doolittle, different people have drawn lots of pictures and, and artwork done about bears. It's called double back. And, and they'll lead you on a trail and they know you're on them and they'll actually switch back on you and, and come back around behind you and wait on the trail, on their trail for you to come and then attack. Uh, the, the, they're hunters, they're predators, and, and they will kill you. It's a little different than a lot of wildlife uh, that people like to go out and take pictures of and, and fool around with, but when you are fooling with a brown bear, um, some of them will kill you. And, and the reason why they kill you is not because they're mad at you, but because they're hungry. And, and, and other bears get personalities that they just hate men. They hate anybody that threatens them. And, and he said, I got the most eerie feeling. And so he said, I found this lean-to that went up over some other trees. It was a, it's, it's a tree that's fallen over top of other trees. And he said, I walked out that lean-to and then I jumped off of it onto another log and walked back the other direction, got to a tree, and climbed a tree and waited. And he said, in about 15 minutes, here he came. And, and this big thousand pound boar, he'd come and say he had a scar on his head like he'd been, like a wound where he'd been shot. 
And he says, well, that's my bear. And he, everything the bear's doing, he's, he's thinking, this is him. But he's waiting. He wants to make sure. And, and so the bear walks out to the end of that pole and loses the scent and gets around, looks around, and, and DeFrance is watching the whole time. And he comes back down the pole, walks back out the pole, and said, the, the more he did that, he did it two or three times, that the bear's the hair just raised up on his neck, and, and he just started getting mad. And, and he went back up on the ground, and he just, on his all fours, jumped, woo, woo, and threw a fit. Threw a bear fit right there in front of DeFrance, and bam, he shot him. He thought, this is him. And of course, they found the remains, and, and it was the bear. And, uh, and, and he, learned, he learned something there, you know, uh, these, some of these creatures will just hunt you down and kill you. Now, he, he, he wrote several small short stories in this book. And my favorite really is one that followed this story, and it's called The 25th Bear. And, and, and it's a real simple short story, but what, this is where it goes. It says, you know, there's only one out of 25 grizzly bears will kill you and eat you. I don't know. Any of you all ever been within 15 feet of a grizzly bear in the wild? Yeah. It, it, it's a very vulnerable feeling. I went to, I went to Alaska lots of times, and uh, the last trip I made, I, I went to uh, Fairbanks and got on a beaver and flew to uh, the most northerly settlement in the world. It's called Fort Yukon. And it's right on the, 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 where, the, where the Porcupine River flows into the Yukon River. And then I got in a boat there, and I went 350 miles toward the, Arctic, or toward the North Pole, uh, inside the Arctic Circle there, um, on a caribou hunt with some Athabascan Indians. And they were going to get their winter's meat. And everywhere we stopped, literally, there were brown bears. Uh, they usually weren't visible, but every time you stop, you pull in and just to take a break or something, you pull into the, to the shore and you get out of the boat and there's tracks that big around. They're, they're as big as a man's hat brim. And, and, and so I, I've known this. I've read these stories. And man, the first time I went, I went fishing in, in King Salmon. And I took a, we went on a float, my brother and I did, for five days down a river and the plane dropped us off. And, and, and there was a bunch of cameras and stuff piled in a pile right where we got out of the plane and nobody there backpacking a bunch of stuff and we started looking around and we see these big grizzly tracks and we figured out why the guy left his cameras and stuff <laughs> you just see one of these guys up close and, and 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 you don't have any weapons or you don't you know that you can't their heart only beats 14 times a minute so if you shot them right through the heart they could eat your head and half your torso before they died you, you can't, a weapon is not, I mean, it's really not the way to protect yourself. And so they say, wear bells, you know, on you and, and, and talk a lot. And, and you're, you're inevitably, if you spend time in Alaska or even the Northwest Territories, you you're going to come face to face with a grizzly bear. And the guy, these Indians that I was with, I said, what do you do? And they said, well, here's what you do. You, you just, you, you raise up and you, ha! You, you just look as mean and as big as you can look. Well, that never worked for me, I'll tell you. I, I saw him, I've been fishing, had him come up and take fish right off my line. Uh, my brother Mike was with me, and if you all know my brother, he's kind of short and heavy, and, and, and we're, on a, we're, we're at Brooks Falls, where they take those pictures of those bears sitting in the waterfalls, you know, and catching those fish as they go by. That all happens at a place called Brooks Falls. I've been there a few times, but 
Mike's with me and he's having a little trouble with his diabetes and he can't keep up with the rest of the group with the ranger. And, and, and he said, Jess, he said, hang back with me here a little bit and, and let me rest my legs. And I said, okay, that's fine. And, and so the, the group went ahead of us a few minutes and, and, and then after a while I said, well, let's go. And we started to get out on the trail and there's a thousand pound boar walking toward us. And I started to run. Because I, I all you have to do is be able to outrun one other person. You know that. That's all. You just got to be faster than the guy with you. And, and Mike grabs me by the collar as I start to run. He said, I'll kill you, Jesse. And so I stopped and, and, and I said, well, let's just sit down here hunker in the brush. And it's about as far as for me to Brother King there. And, and we just waited. And, you know, we were talking a little bit. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. And he comes and he gets right about where the king is. I go, hey, bear. And he turned and looked at me and I took a picture of him. And Mike starts whispering again, I'm going to kill you. And the bear walks on. Uh, you know, you, it's the most vulnerable I've ever felt in my life. I, I, I was in a locked garage one time with two guys in a knife fight. And, and I came out of there and, and I've been in some places. I've been surrounded by federal soldiers in Mexico uh, with troops of soldiers and, and hiding. And, and I came out of those places. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing made me feel like that bear, those bears being... I got old Joe in the front of the boat one day, and I just thought, well, I'm going to test his heart. And we're fishing, and, and there's a big brown bear, and he's standing in the water, and he's reaching down, and he's picking fish that we'd cleaned and filleted off the bottom of the, the river, and he's, he's, he's eating the remains. And, and so Joe's, I said, Joe, I'll, I'll motor us up there. You can get a good picture of this brown bear. And he says, oh, okay, good idea. And so I got about, you know, 25 yards from him. He goes, that's close enough. I just kept coming, Brother Miles. I was like, I got him within about 30 feet of that break because I'm going to kill you, Jesse. <laughs> but I said, well, get a good picture. And, and uh, the old bear just raised his head up and just the fish and stuff drop, dripping off of him. They're, they're huge creatures. And Mr. DeFrance said, you know, only one out of 25, uh, most of them, you can just talk to them. You really can. You, you can just talk to them. You say, hey, bear. Like I've had them come up when I'm catching salmon and and they, they figured out the fishing thing and fishing pole thing and they'll, they'll get between you and, and try to take the fish that you're just, you just cut your line. You just or let them have the fish, cut your line, and get away from them. Don't fight with them. Don't, don't get a, an attitude about them. Just, it's their river, it's their fish and you're just there enjoying the moment. The first year I went and I, I put, I, I, I took one of those riot shotguns, you know, that sawed off 12 gauges and I had it loaded full with ot buck and, 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 and uh, uh, ot buck shot and slugs, alternated. And I thought, I can take any bear in Alaska, you know. And, and, and I'm out there fishing. We are, we're floating down the Nonvianic out of the Iliamna, a big lake up in the mountains there out of King Salmon, and between King Salmon and Dillingham. And, and, and we're just, we hadn't seen anybody for two days. And I'm out there on the river and, and somebody's floating by in a raft behind me and Joe's over on the bank I'm out there in waiters um, cooking breakfast, and, and the guy says to me, don't shoot me, because I've got this thing slung over my back, and my back's to him, and I'm fishing, and I didn't even look to see who it was. I said, well, don't growl. <laughs> and Joe said, yes, that was a ranger. I said, well, you know, really, where I'm at right now, and the first time I've ever been here, it wouldn't make any difference. Uh, rangers better not growl. I was on edge, but I, I learned about these bears that you, you can't play with them. You don't mess with them. Um, you, you treat them like it's their domain and, and it's not for the faint of heart. 
And, and what Mr. DeFrance says is that only one out of 25, 24 of them, you can be around them, you can mix with them, will actually kill you and eat you. But the problem is they're not football players and they don't wear numbers. That's right. You never know when you're looking at the 25th bear. You never know. It might be the very first one you come in contact. It may be the very first one. And it may be number 60 or 70 down the road. You may, you may hit three in a row. You never know. And, and that's, that's what's important. And that's what really leads in. And, uh, and, 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 and I've used this as a, as a text because the devil's like that. Let me tell you something. Sin is like that. Sin is like that 25th bear. I've saw people, I've pastored long enough to know what I'm talking about, that they, if you get to playing with some type of sin, you get too close and you get too familiar with any type of sin, and you say, oh no, I can handle this situation. I've been through this situation. Uh, just wait a minute. Sin doesn't wear numbers. It doesn't wear numbers. And you never know when you're looking at your 25th bear. I say, you never know when you're looking at your 25th bed. It may come early, it may come late, but you will come face to face with a sin that will kill you. The scripture talks about, oh, we've all sinned we, and we have to deal with this. First John uh, talks about if we said we had no sin, we're, we're liars. But it also said there's a sin unto death. Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill your body. But fear him that can kill your body and put your soul in hell. You better fear the bear. You better fear the sin that can take you down. Paul said in the 10th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, Let he that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The day you think you're really strong. I remember Brother Terry telling me that when my aunt fell into a coma, it was during the time I was out, I, I, I came back to church and she lived about a year or a little longer after I came back to church and prayed through. But I remember him telling us and warning us and telling us young men. He said, I felt so strong, Jess. He said, I, man, he said, I felt so strong in the Lord. He said, I told the Lord one day, just try me, God. And you have to admire him for that. And he endured, but I'll tell you what, after he went through what God gave him a little trial, he said, no mas, <laughs> no more, Lord. He, you know, you can feel so strong as a minister or a man of God or a, a woman of God in the church. You, you feel like, man, you, you, you've got it laid out. You've, you've got your path in front of you and, and you're going to walk it and then something happens. You get a little injury uh, in your body and a uh, doctor hands you uh, a prescription and, 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 and said, so you need to take these. And, and I can remember having neck surgeries and, and, and they've got a little uh, uh, description on the front that says take one to two every two to four hours or something. And, and I said, well, I'm not taking them until I'm hurting. And they said, no, you don't do that. You take them to keep from hurting. All right, you hear from a pastor's point of view, you forgive me, Brother Young, but from a pastor's point of view, I'm going to tell you something. You take what they tell you to take and it isn't long till you got your 25th bear in your purse. It's in your pocket today or it's in your purse. They say 85% of people walking to a Pentecostal church are on some type of pain medicine. Well, go ahead. Shout about that. 
It's a scourge in America today. Prescription medicine. Uh, I preach service after service where I've looked out there and people's heads are nodding. I've went to their houses and I've looked them. Uh, this doctor could tell you. I've, I went to their houses and I've looked them in the eye and I said, do you realize you're walking around in a fog? Taking 120, 160 milligrams of Oxycontin a day. You'd be surprised how much Oxycontin's in this building right now. You'd be surprised how much Vicodin or, or whatever is in this building and, 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 and antidepressants. Well, well, well. Come on. Something tells me on my, in my gut, I'm on the money here. I hadn't even, that's not even my, but I feel something here in the Holy Ghost. And you start trying to tell yourself, oh, that doctor told me. Well, listen to an old drug dealer. There's not much difference. There's not much difference in a prescription and a guy down on the corner. The only difference is you got it legal right now. All right? <laughs> That's the only difference. But I promise you it could be your 25th bear. It could destroy you. Destroy you. In the book of um, Galatians in chapter 5, the scripture says in verse 17, it said that the flesh, where am I at in time? Am I about done, Brother Wilson? He's ignoring me. That means preach on. Can you stand it? Can you stand it? Galatians 5.17 said, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. They fight one to another that you cannot do the things you would. And I'm going to tell you something else. You can't do the things God would have you do. When your flesh, come on. How many people in here right now don't believe in Jesus' name baptism? Don't believe it. Okay. How many people don't believe in the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues for salvation? All right. So you see what I'm saying here? Uh, I'll make it a little clearer. If you go to hell, going to one of these churches or under one of these preachers, it's not going to be because you didn't hear Acts 2.38. I was raised in this thing. That's the first scripture I learned when I was a little kid. Huh? So you're not going to stand before God and say, I, I never heard the gospel. Right? We're trying to get this thing worldwide. We're going to get this thing one of these days. Any person that, that's surfing, they, they can get on there and they're going to hear Acts 2.38. When we talk about getting the Holy Ghost, they're going to hear it, that you can hear it and see it. There's a sign that accompanies it. Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not an option. You must be born again. And I doubt very seriously if you're going to go to hell by following a blind leader. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Brother Myers told me one time, uh, not long ago, when we first kind of started the WPF and got, got it going. He said, you guys need to do this every 10 years. Start a new organization. He, called, he said, because it's good when they're, when they're young, Brother Wells. He said, you guys do good when, when you're starting out. 
And that's old wisdom. There's nothing wrong with that. And what I'm saying is we'll weed out the non-believers. Just come to some of these meetings and let somebody just work you over like some of you getting worked over this morning. <laughs> hey, if there's a pill popper here, he's going to either get convicted or leave. If you keep preaching it, I think it's Brother Morton that said this. Why well, I hate quoting you when you're here, Brother Morton, but I think somebody said, it. we're going to put it on your list. He said, there's two at the mill, one's taken, one's left. Two in the field, one's taken, one's left. Two watching TV, and they're both left. But, well, just say I said it, okay? Well, well, well. Who would think that a piece of electronic equipment could be your 25th bear? Well, I've got a little experience of pastoring people, and I'm going to tell you something. You can't believe the trouble I've had with computers. You can't believe the, the people I've talked the families that split over a stupid computer. You can't handle that thing, and you can't keep it clean. You need to get rid of it. You just need to get rid of it. I love old brother Tony Spell. He's still got a flip phone and can't even text. I thought I was backwards. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to go buy him an iPhone. Hey, you know your limits. You know what's right for you. And, and you better stay away from that 25th bear. You better it said that the flesh, everybody pinch yourself a little bit. I'll get to closing here. That's what's going to cause you to be lost if you're lost. All right? I don't know about you. I'm, I'm not about to start preaching delusion. I don't want any part of it. I, you, you, most of you have no idea what the spirit of delusion has done to my family. Now, let me tell you something. 34 years ago, when I prayed through, it was less than a year, uh, I went to see my family in Dallas, Texas, and my mother was back there visiting my sister and some relatives, and, and, and they started saying, come on, Jesse, go to church with us. And I said, no, I don't believe I will. I've only been in church a year. And, and they said, come on, come on. And so I did. And uh, my brother-in-law asked me to get up and say something, and man, it just didn't look anything like. One of the greatest thrills I had after 13 years of being in the world, I walked back in. 36 and 0 in Bakersfield, California. And that church looked just like it did when I was a kid. I'll tell you something. You can be an old, cold, hard drug dealer. And when we come back, it, there's a whole lot of things that we're looking for. And one of them is not change. I understand we have to change. I understand. Brother Wilson, brother, brother Young, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a progressive Oki. I believe in evangelism. I believe, believe in, in progressive. But uh, there's some things that the foundation can't change. It, it's got to stay the same. You can't fool with it. The Bible said you can build on it. You can build precious stones, uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and then it gets to wood, hay, and stubble. And, and if you'll just think about that just for a moment. 
you can build some trashy things on the foundation. There's no other foundation that can be laid. It's Christ. He is the cornerstone. And, and there's nothing else you can build on. There's nothing else you can build on. But when you, it said, let every man be careful what he does build. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tried with fire. It's going to be tried with fire. And, and I don't know about you, but wood, hay, and stubble doesn't do well in fire. But when you talk about gold and silver and precious stones, fire, it just makes gold cleaner. It just makes silver cleaner. It just it makes it more pure. And, 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 and it's worth digging down and getting the clean of the clean, I'm telling you. You want, you want to be right, and you want to preach what's right, and you want to believe what's right, and you want to protect it. You want to be extremely careful. Amen. What you feed yourself. I, I got up at the church there that first time I visited, and, and I started talking about remove not the ancient landmarks and how proud I was to get back to Bakersfield and, and what it looked like and how I felt. I'm going to tell you how I felt. Number one, I felt like if these people knew who I was, and they all knew me, I was raised in that church, but I said, if they knew what kind of person I am, they would escort me out no matter how many it took to take me out. That's the way I felt. All right, I've learned enough now to know that they were thrilled to death to have old Jesse Parker, the backslider there, and praying, all of them were praying that I'd pray through. I didn't that day. The first day back, I tried to start a fight with Brother Terry right in the church. But my point is, is this is what I was wanting. What, what I, I thought, if they really knew what kind of person I am, they would throw me out. And, and that's the way backsliders and sinners feel when they come back. They're looking, for, they, they're looking for something to connect to. The next day, um, I, I don't want to say too much about it. I've got to say this for the sake of some people here. Uh, the, next, the next night, um, I, I got through that night, and, and I could tell I, I wasn't a big hit. The people rallied when I spoke, and, but my brother-in-law didn't care for much what I had to say. And, and so the next day came, and my brother Joe flew in from Louisville uh, Conference, and he said, let's, let's go back tonight. And I said, you know, I've had enough. I went one night, and I said, and, and again, I've only in church about a year. And, uh, and my brother-in-law, my brothers, all my family, none of them ever left church. And, you know, they're all preachers. And, and, and my sister's married to preachers. And, and, and so I'm staying with my other sister. And her husband comes up to me, he's a music man, and he says, come on, Jesse, go. Joe wants to go. And, and my wife is kind of looking at me like, nah, I don't want to go back. And, and I said, no, I'm not going. I said, uh, I, the guy's a Trinitarian. And uh, the guy, they had a special speaker there from, from South America. And, and uh, I said, he's a Trinitarian. And, and, and so my brother-in-law says, how can you tell that? And I said, I, I said his speech betrays him. That's what Brother Terry used to tell us. He said, you can listen to a man speak, and you can tell if he's one God or not. They don't have to say very much. He didn't preach on the Godhead. Uh, you could just tell by his speech. He was, he was Trinitarian. And, and I said, I don't really want to go. And, and so Joe says to me, he said, well, if he preaches on the Trinity, he said, I'll walk out. And I said, okay, I'll go. And, and we went. This is 30, 33 years ago, I think it was. It's a church of four or 500 people. The church, they claim 10,000 today. It's one of the biggest charismatic churches in America. And... And I, I went and I sat with my mom and my sister, the pastor's wife, 
And, and the guy comes out after the singing's all over and everything, and he starts preaching. And, and, and we're kind of, you know, we're being bad, Joe and I. We're writing notes and stuff. And, and, uh, and the guy starts preaching. He goes, I'm going to preach on the throne of grace. And, and my wife had already left. She went out in the lobby. She got a whole piece of literature, and it said, we believe in the one triune God. This business of trying to, to, to please both sides or trying to act like you can, you can appeal to any, to, to any level. You know what? If you're going to preach this gospel like I started out, preach this gospel, okay? If you're one God, Jesus' name, you may not want to come to our church and preach, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't get up there and, and, and make us try to guess. Man, you, you didn't land at Brother Terry's church very long until he said, have you got a one God message? Right, Brother King? You better have one. Because he could order it at any time. He'd say, okay, tonight you're preaching on one God. Let's see what you got. And the guy says, he, I'm sitting next to Joe and it gets a little tense. And, and he says, when I approach the throne of grace... He said, I see the Father here, sitting here. And I see the Son sitting here. And I said, well, that's just enough for me. And I got up. And again, I'm sitting with the pastor's wife. And my mother's been there for a few months staying with them. And, and when I got up, Sister Molly got up. And Joe got up. And, and, and Sister Parker, my, my wife, is already in the lobby. And we start walking out, Brother Wilson. And, and you can't believe the family fight has started. But I can tell you this much. We've not been to church together. I've only been in the same building with him one time in 34 years. And that's when my sister Sally died. And can I tell you, this is how much respect they have for me or, or anything that, that I've been involved with in my life. They wouldn't even let me get on the platform, wouldn't let me say one thing at my sister's funeral. And had men up speaking and saying they had put their ministry, two different ministers there had, had put their ministry and said, I stake my ministry on the fact that Sally Parker will be healed. And we were having her funeral. Now, I'm not, I didn't want to be up there. But I'm just telling you, you talk about a little bit of pain. You take, you backslide for 13 years. You go out into the world and you humble yourself and you drag yourself back into an apostolic church. And fall on your face and get right with God. I want to tell you what I wanted more than anything in the world. I wanted my family back. I wanted the fellowship of my brothers and sisters. I wanted the fellowship of my relatives. And when I got in and I saw what was going on, I found out. You know what I found out? I was further apart from them after I got in church than I was when I was in the world. Now, what are you saying all this for? I'm saying it because, oh, we had a family meeting, man. You can imagine, 4 o'clock in the morning when we finally all went to bed. I remember going to bed upstairs and they still talking downstairs. They had another little meeting after Jesse left. I know what's going on. You, you, you understand what I'm telling you? I spent 13 years and saw my brothers and sisters probably a half a dozen times in 13 years. And then I get back in church, one of the great thrills that I had when Brother Terry was preaching that doctrine into me is, man, I can't wait to get around my brothers and sisters. I can't wait to go to church with them, Brother Wilson. I can't, I can't wait to have church with them. 
I'm going to tell you something. There's a delusion there that is, is greater than you can, you can even imagine. You're not going to see it. When God sends a delusion, I got up from the meeting and walked out at 4 o'clock in the morning. This is what I told them. First, I told my brother-in-law, I said, you're their pastor and you're their eyes. And I said, the Bible said, where the blind leads the blind, they both fall in the ditch. If you lead my sisters down the wrong trail, you're, the blood's going to be on your hands. He stands up at the table and says, no, don't confess that on me. And I looked at my sisters and my brothers. I said, you hear what this man's saying? He will not take responsibility for your soul. I'm going to tell you something. I won't give you 10 cents for a preacher that won't give, take responsibility. It's your job. The Bible said the law of God is in your mouth. Come on. Well, let's stand and love the Lord this morning. Come on, raise your hands and love God. Thank Him for truth. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. Oh, we love you, God. Let me tell you something. I love my family. I can't come to a meeting like this without folks asking me, how are they doing? How's so-and-so doing? How's this one doing? And uh, a delusion. I, I didn't get to the verse, but I'll quote it to you. The Bible, it went on there to say in, in verse 20, Galatians chapter 5, that heresy, it starts off at works of the flesh are manifest, adultery and fornication, lasciviousness and goes on through a list and, and in, in that is heresy. Some of us need to understand the fact that false doctrine, heresy is a work of the flesh. It's not this trick. It's not this big trap that somebody sets or that Satan has, has laid out. But the reason why there's a lot of preaching around the cross a lot of preaching around Acts 2.38 and not preaching on it. It's because people have become intolerant because of their flesh. You've got you to pray through over your flesh to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You've got to bring your flesh under control. I, I don't know about you, but I don't believe in teaching people how to speak in tongues. I got the Holy Ghost. Man, I was, I was trying to prove to my wife and everybody that knew me that you didn't have to speak in tongues to get the Holy Ghost. And the first month or so uh, before I went to Brother Terry's, back to Brother Terry's church, I, I gave every morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, I was up, I was in my Bible, in my living room by myself, and I was digging and I was going to prove some things. And you know what I did? I, I laid my Bible in my lap one morning at about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I told God, God, I believe it. I see it. And immediately I start speaking in tongues. I've been repenting. I've been laying the dope down. and th oh, That stuff was all gone. But I'm telling you, I wasn't even thinking about speaking in tongues. 
I told my wife it's not necessary and everybody that would listen to me. It was September the 4th, 1980. And um, my daughter Megan's second or third birthday and that afternoon we were setting a table in the front yard, so hot in Bakersfield. And we were barbecuing out in the front yard and I was kind of helping her set the table and my Aunt Libby was coming over and Danny and Phil and I looked across that table at my wife. I'd kept it to myself all day long. And I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And I looked at her across that table. I said, honey, I said, guess what I did this morning? And she looked at me like, I have no idea. I mean, she, she's a cowgirl. She didn't even own one dress, not one. And, and I said, guess what I did this morning? She said, what? I said, I spoke in tongues for like three hours. Her jaw dropped. I mean, her jaw dropped. Literally. And looked at me like, and she told me later, she said, I thought, oh my God. Like, what am, what are we? She knew me. But I would not lie about something like that. But when we talk about into the heavenlies, let me close with this, and that's it. The different, the protection, the protection you've got to have. It's, it's got to come from revelation. It's got to come from heaven. You understand? Like the situation I was in with my family, they, as soon as I prayed through and got the Holy Ghost, they started calling me saying, Jesse, come to Dallas, come to Dallas. Brother Terry's a great teacher and Bible teacher and everything, but it's going to be hard to live for God under him. Don't you know, Brother Terry's exactly what I needed. He was the, he was the only one that would ride me with spurs. I mean, I, was the time, I had to be broke with spurs, and, and, and he would do it. He would flat get in my face. But I can't tell you the joy that when he'd get to preaching on the Godhead, simple Godhead messages that would thrill my soul. And, and I had no idea, I had no idea that God would ever give me an opportunity to, to be a preacher or to even to preach to small groups. We taught home Bible studies and things and won people to God, but to think to get up in the pulpit, it just scared me to death to think about getting up and preaching in front of people. And, and that was never in the plan. And when that started, I mean, when, when he preached that revelation into me, I, I tell you, I was like a bulldog on a chain, Brother Wilson. I mean, you know, I, was, I was like, let me go. Somebody take this off me. Let me go. I, I, I never thought about getting a license, but they came along, Brother Terry told told me and told my wife together said Jess needs to go up to Fresno they're having a ministerial uh, licensing program going on said he needs to go get his license and I, I said what for and he said because I'm kicking you out it bugs me when when some young man wants to come tell me they need license or they need some kind of credentials brother Terry told me you go get them and I went and they gave us Brother Buxton, Brother Herbert Buxton and, and Brother David Gray to interview us. And we got in the back room and I, I was ready, man. I'll tell you what, I was, I was memorizing scriptures with King up until, I mean, an hour before we met. 
And I get in that room and, and Brother Gray and Brother Buxton looks at me and my wife and, and I'm ready, boy, to quote scriptures and tell him what I believe. And, and he starts asking my wife, are you jealous of Jess? And all they wanted to talk to us about was our personal relationship. And I thought, well, this is what getting a you know, license is all about. Finally, I couldn't stand it after about 15 minutes of interview and them schooling us, and it was some of the best advice I ever received. I said to Brother Gray, I said, he was like our Bible answer man then, you know. I said, aren't you going to ask me some one God scriptures? Brother Gray started laughing. He looked at Brother Herbert Buxton, and he said, no. He said, the last guy I asked for my age, Terry's church, quoted scriptures I didn't even know was in the Bible. He said, I am not worried about you. You know what he did? Brother Terry preached that into us. He wasn't letting us go without, hey, it, it's, not gonna, it's, it's not gonna get down in your guts unless a preacher preaches it down there. It's got to be preached into you. And you got to get hungry for it. You got to tell your pastor, preach to me, pastor. I surrender.